1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's go there. And we're going to talk about, we're going to get to the, 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 to the heart of the issue now uh, after spending two weeks of laying some groundwork here. We're going to talk about the meaning of head coverings. You think, oh my gosh, what in the world is, why, why is that important for us? Well, it happens to be really important for us if we understand that this is much greater than just a head covering. So as we talk about this, as we go through this today, I want you to understand, I want you to keep this in mind, that this is not about doing. I posted an article that um, Marty Troutman had posted on her Facebook. It was really a very short little article called Raising Pagan Children in Christian Homes. And I would really encourage you to go to the Christ Fellowship Facebook page. I think I've got it on mine, but if you go to Christ Fellowship's Facebook page, that article is linked there. It'll take you about two or three minutes to read it, but it is a fantastic article. Especially, not just, especially though, if you're a parent, I would encourage you to go and read that article. Uh, very, very timely article. So I want you to understand as we talk about these things, this is not about doing, it's about being. The Christian life, when we talk about the Scripture, we're not just talking about what you're doing. That The gospel is not, now you have the power to do things better. Now you have the power to do better things. No, the gospel is, God has given you the power to be. Not to do, but to be. Your identity is not based on what you do. Your identity is based on who you are. And who you are is determined by Christ, not by the things you do. Amen? So I want you to keep this in mind as we go through this. The meaning of head coverings. Honoring our head for the glory of God. Let's, let's read these verses. I'm going to read the first 16 verses and we're going to get into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered... Let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But a woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for man. For this reason... The woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, for woman is independent of man, nor is woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, so man also comes through woman, that, but that all things are from God. Judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered. 
Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So in understanding the context of these verses, we see that Paul is speaking to the role of men and women in general with the specific application of men and women praying and prophesying in the local church. So Paul is addressing a general foundational truth in addressing a specific issue in the local church. This obviously was a question that came to Paul, just like the question of, can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? So he's addressing a specific issue in this church. So there was a desire to blur the roles. I want you to hear what was happening 2,000 years ago in the Corinthian church. And I want you to think about our culture today. This is why the scripture is relevant for us. Because they're not dealing with things that were isolated or unique to them that we're not dealing with today. Because human nature has not changed. The sin nature of man is, is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago as it was back at the garden. And back at the garden, the enemy came. He's called the lawless one. And he went to the woman first. And it was the man that was put in charge of the garden to... To, to guard it, to tend it, to take care of it. He bypassed the authority God had set in place and went to the woman. Now here we come to the Corinthian church, and we see that there was a desire to blur the roles, to create a unisex environment in which gender and the distinct complementary roles of men and women were diminished. There was also this, this idea or this, this reality of these mystery religions that were just prolific in Corinth. And many of these mystery religions were very uh, female-oriented. And so there's, there's also this, this thought that there were things taking place in the church that were kind of modeled after what was taking place in these mystery religions, and they were bringing some of these things into the church. And so Paul is setting something in order here that speaks to something much greater much deeper than whether women are supposed to wear hats in church, okay? And so this is exactly this desire to blur the roles, to create this gender-neutral environment. This is exactly what has long been happening in our own culture, if you think about it, and also in the church. I mean, when they begin to rewrite the Scripture and they take all the references of he out and they make God asexual, so we can't call God he anymore. We can't call him father anymore because that's discriminatory. There's a problem when the culture feels compelled to change the very nature of Scripture in order to blur the lines and blur the roles and create this a reality that's not reality at all. It's not what God designed. It's not how he created things in the beginning. And so this, this has long been happening in our own culture and in the church. And so the answer is the gospel. The answer to this is a return to God's word and an emphasis on Christ, 
who is our life and not on ourself. So women, you, if you understand Christ is your life, if you understand the created order of God, there's no reason for you to feel insecure about being a woman. There's no reason for you to feel like you've got to prove that you're as good or better than a man. Men, if you understand who you are in Christ, that Christ is your life, and that you are a man created by God for a specific role to fulfill, then you're not going to feel compelled to enforce your will or your authority over a woman just to make her put in her rightful place so that she'll know you're the boss. That, that's being just as insecure as the woman who is trying to exert or usurp the authority of the man. So if we all understand who we are in Christ, there's no reason for any of us to be insecure about who we are. If we all know that we're called to love God first and foremost with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and then we love one another as ourselves, then, then these roles are going to work to perfection. But if we become insecure and we're trying to prove something ourselves, then this is, this is when then the focus is no longer on God and His glory. Now the focus is on me and what I need to prove, what I need to make sure my husband or my wife or my children or this person knows. Then, it, then I become the center of the universe and I now become the object of worship and I'm trying to force myself on others. Now that's, that's out of order. That's wrong. That's why as we go through this, we keep in mind that little verse in here where Paul says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Women, be a woman to the glory of God. Be a wife to the glory of God. Men, be a man to the glory of God. Be a husband to the glory of God. Children, be children to the glory of God. Don't despise your parents and don't despise the command to be obedient to them. Be who you are right now. Honor your father and your mother to the glory of God. Don't rebel. Because you're not the center of the universe. To God belongs the glory. Now, if you don't believe that, if you've got a problem with that, then, then we're going to have issues. Whether you're 12 years old or whether you're 32 years old or whether you're 72 years old, you're going to have issues with that if, if you don't have God in his rightful place and everything flows from that. Amen? So the question is not simply about the requirement of a head covering for women in the church today. The foundational question concerns the role of men and women in creation, in the family, and in the church. The head covering was a meaningful symbol that signified how these roles were to be walked out in the church as well as in the greater culture. So most important was the foundational understanding of God's created order in terms of how men and women, husbands and wives, were to function together in the distinct roles, the distinct complementary roles that God created and designed for each one of them. These roles that were given to them by God in creation for the family and ultimately for God's glory. So if we reduce this simply to a question of if when, where, or what head covering is required for women today, then we miss 
the Scripture's greater and more deeply important point, and we will have reduced, listen, we will have reduced an immovable truth of God to a floating cultural fad. Well, it's not the fad to wear hats anymore. People don't wear hats. That's ridiculous, Pastor Jeff. We don't need to wear hats to church as women. People just don't do that anymore. Well, yeah, mostly they don't. But we're not talking about a fad here. We're talking about a foundational truth. And the foundational truth really is not so much whether you wear a head covering or not. So if the question, listen, if the question for us is, how does Paul's teaching about women's head coverings in the church apply to us today? If that's the question, then the answer has got to go deeper than a piece of cloth on a woman's head. Are you tracking with me? The answer to that question has got to be more than just a piece of cloth on a woman's head. It's much deeper than that. And it truly is. All right, so we're going to look at six specific truths from these verses, from from verse 3 to verse 16. The first one is we are to honor our head. The second is we are to glorify our head. The third one is we are to respect God's order of creation. The fourth one is we are to embrace our dependence on one another in our distinct and complementary roles in the Lord. I know we love our independence in America, land of the free, home of the brave. Especially in Texas, very independent. You know, that's fine in some regards. But the Bible says we are to embrace our dependence on one another in the Lord. The fifth is this, nature reveals God's distinct created order. And the sixth is this, the church is to uphold the traditions and customs affirmed in God's word. So the head covering for a woman was a real and meaningful symbol of God's ultimate authority as the source of all things, including the distinct roles of men and women in creation, in the family, and in the church, specifically husbands and wives. Okay, you guys ready? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's, uh, let's look at the first uh, three, or verses 3 through 6. Father, as we get ready to dive into your word, I just pray, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, God, we would just not hear facts. We would not just hear information today. God, I'm not praying for your people to hear and to understand the information that's being given out today. Father, our prayer is that you would, by the power of your Spirit, give us a revelation of truth, that we would understand these truths, Lord, beyond the surface, to the depths of what you are communicating to us through your Word, that we would see beyond the surface, we would perceive and comprehend beyond the surface, that we would not just Lord, be motivated to do something different. But God, we would begin to understand that you, by the power of the Spirit, through the work of Jesus Christ, Lord, you've called us and made us to be something different. Let that reality of who we are, of our very being in Christ, overflow from our lives to those around us. 
to the world, to the very culture around us. Let it be a witness. Let it transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, but I want you, verse 3, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. So what's the principle here? Is Paul saying, all you women who don't have hair flowing down the middle of your back, that you're in sin? No. Now, if we were in church in the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago, you might have an issue. It'd be kind of like... it, it, it'd be kind of like, it's, it's not really the same analogy, but, you know, there's a reason why uh, you ladies don't wear your bikini to church, right? Say, I don't wear a bikini when I go swimming anyways. All right, there's a reason why you're not wearing your one-piece swimsuit to church. It's, it's not the appropriate place. There's a reason why you're not wearing your pajamas or your negligee to church. Ladies, it's not the appropriate place. In Corinth 2,000 years ago, there were certain things that were deemed inappropriate for, for women, not just in church, but anywhere, just like there, there are today. Now, we need to understand why those things were deemed inappropriate. And, and what in the world does a head covering have to do with all of this? And so this is where we've got to understand this is not just about the outward. This is about what that outward thing represented. So in this principle here, in these first three verses that we've looked at, Paul in verse 3 says, I want you to know something He said, here is a foundational truth, church. The foundational truth is this, that Christ, the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. He is laying out an order. We can call it an order of authority. We can call it whatever you want. But but this word headship, the head, the source, the source of every man is God, is Christ. The source of every man, is, of every woman, is man. Eve was taken from the rib, from the life of Adam. And the, and the head of Christ is God. God. Christ proceeded from God in the incarnation. He came to this earth. Here is a foundational truth that we need to understand. Paul says, listen, before we get into this whole debate about head coverings, here is the foundation, here's what everything is based on. And so we are to honor our head. Men, honor Christ who is your head. Don't dishonor Christ, men. How were the Corinthians 
perhaps doing this, they were praying and prophesying with their head covered. Women, honor your head. The head of woman is man. Women, do not dishonor your husband. What were they doing? Some women were praying and prophesying with heads uncovered, like men. Some women were coming to church, blurring the lines, and there was not a distinction of male and female in various ways. And Paul is reminding them, hey, you didn't decide the order of creation. God did. You're not the creator. God is the creator. Don't despise who you are and the role that God's given to you because remember, and he begins to lay out this foundational truth, Christ never dishonored his father. So we are each to understand our position and our role in relation to our head. We are to honor our our head. Look at verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Now we need to read this verse very carefully and, and understand what it is saying and also understand what it is not saying. So we are to honor our head. This verse teaches us that we are to glorify our head. So man... Genesis 1.27, let's, let's go there. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 1. Let's read in the creation account, verse 27. So God created man, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. You notice this? He created him, male and female, he created them. So man, both male and female, was created was created in the image of God. Therefore, man is the image and glory of God. Man is the image and glory of God. Not just the male gender, but man. In the beginning, he created him. He created male and female. He created them in Adam who existed, who was yet to be created. In Adam was Eve. So when God created Adam, we we could say it like this. Eve was in there. God just hadn't taken her out yet. But his plan all along was that Eve would come from Adam. So this is why mankind is called man. That's not a slide against women. That doesn't mean women are less valuable. That's what our culture wants women to believe today. We need to change the Bible. We need to take all those references out because it's male-dominated, male-oriented. Just a bunch of men wrote that book just trying to enforce their will and their authority over women, trying to keep us under their thumb. That's what the culture today believes. That is perhaps what some people back in Corinth believed. I don't know. 
but it certainly is what the culture today believes. What does the Scripture teach us? This isn't about the culture. This is about the creation. This isn't about what's, what, what people, what's popular. This is about what God ordained before time began. This is about His created order. So man, both male and female, were created in the image and the glory of God. Therefore, man is the image and the glory of God. Woman is from man, and so she is the glory of man. I want you to notice the difference. That woman is not called the image and glory of man. She is called only the glory of man. Why? Because woman was not created in the image of man. Woman, like man, female, like male, was created in the image of God. Because she was in Adam at creation. But she was taken out of Adam, so she is the glory of man. What does that mean? That means that woman, like man, bears the image of God, but since she came from the man, she directly reflects the glory of man, and so reflects the glory of God. As woman reflects the glory of man, she reflects the glory of God. So Paul is reminding us of the order of creation here. So equality in essence, they're both human, They're both created in the image of God. So we have equality in essence, but while we have that, we honor the distinct and the complementary roles that glorify God. So equality in essence, while honoring our distinct complementary roles, glorifies God. Women, fulfill your role as a woman. Wives, fulfill your roles as a wife, and know that in doing that, you are glorifying God because you are fulfilling the created order that God designed before time began. Men, fulfill your role and understand the weight of your role as a man who is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 8 and 9 and 10. Let's look at these. So we are to honor our head. We're to glorify our head as we fulfill our roles, as we embrace the distinct roles that God has for each of us. We glorify God. Therefore, we glorify our head. Verse 8. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the, for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, those verses 8 and 9, our culture, again, conveys a different message. There are people in our culture today that those two verses just grate at them like fingernails on a chalkboard. Because those verses are seen to be degrading, demoralizing for women. How dare us believe that man was created or that woman was created for man. But yet that's what the Scripture says. Man was not from woman, 
but woman was from man. And man was not created for the woman, but woman was created for the man. Who did that? God did that. Now, if you don't believe the Bible is inspired by God and you think a bunch of male chauvinists wrote it, well, that's a whole different issue. (laughs) But if we believe this is the inspired Word of God and God is revealing to us the order of creation and we trust God that God knew what He was doing when He decided how to create everything and how He ordered everything, then we need to trust God as men and as women. And then, and then there's this weird verse, verse 10. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. It literally says, for this, for this reason, the woman ought to have authority on head because of the angels. So what are these verses teaching us? These verses are teaching us that we are to respect God's order of creation. Man is not from woman. Man is not the source of woman, but woman came from man. Woman is from man. Man is the source. Therefore, man is the head of woman. Man was not created for the woman, but woman was created for the man. This is the created order that God ordained. And then he says this, For this reason... The woman ought to have authority on head because of the angels. What does that mean? Turn back over, hold your place, go over a few uh, chapters, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's look at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 4, 9, Paul writes, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. I believe Paul literally meant what he said there. I think Paul meant the angels are watching. The Scripture conveys that to us. The Scripture talks about how the angels look at the heirs of salvation and with wonder. There's another Scripture. Uh, it's in... It's in 1 Timothy 5.21. Let's turn over there and look at that one. 1 Timothy 5.21. Paul writes to Pastor Timothy here, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Now, that word angel is a word that literally means messenger. And so, for instance, in Revelation, when Paul wrote to the angels of the church, he, we could say that he was writing to the pastors of those churches. But I think Paul is talking about real angels here. Because here's the reality. This is what Ephesians 3.10 says. It's been given to the church to make known the manifold wisdom of God to powers and principalities in heavenly places. So we know that we're giving witness to the angels, angels and demons, powers and principalities in heavenly places. So our witness is important. For this reason, 
The woman ought to have authority on head because of the angels. We give witness to angels. We give witness to men and to angels, either in our respect or in our disrespect to God, his created order, and his redemptive plan. If I disrespect God and his created order, this is the witness that I am giving. And here again, we're not concerned about our witness just in terms of what we do. The reason we should most chiefly be concerned about our witness is because of who we are. This is about who we have been called to be by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If this is who I am, if Christ is my life, if Christ dwells in me, if He is truly my Lord and my Savior, and I understand that the head of Christ is God, And I understand that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man. If I understand this in terms of God's redemptive plan, in terms of his life, this is not just about what I'm doing. I am doing what I'm doing because of who I am. Women, you're not to call the go through life going, well, I guess I'm just going to have to suffer through being a woman. That's just the way it is. No. God wants you to find your greatest joy in who He has called you to be. In Him. In the Lord. He purposefully made you a woman. And you are glorious and you are to glorify Him through your life and through your role as a woman. Young ladies... God wants you to glorify Him through your role as a woman. One day you'll grow up and you'll get married and become a wife. God wants you to glorify Him in that role. Not despise it. Men, young men, you're going to grow up one day and you're going to find a wife and you're going to marry her. What kind of husband are you going to be? Are you going to be a husband who loves his wife the way Christ loves the church? Are you going to understand your role as a man and as a husband? Uh, see, I'm not just talking to the, I'm not talking to the, to the older people here. I'm talking as much or more to the younger people here who are going to step into these roles and fulfill these roles of husband and wife one day. If you don't understand that God created you on purpose the way He created you, He made you a woman on purpose he made you a man on purpose. He's called you to be a wife on purpose and a husband on purpose. He's called you wife to respect your husband. He's called you husband to love your wife. And that love and that respect and those distinct but complementary roles functioning together, they are teaching our children. What are they teaching our children? Parents, what is your home teaching children? The angels are watching, but so are the little ones. Your witness is important. It's very, very important. Your teaching 
You're witnessing whether you realize it or not all the time. So we are to glorify our head. We are to respect God's order of creation. That means we are to respect one another. Verse 11, Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. So here Paul brings the balance. Woman wasn't created first, man was created first. Man wasn't created for woman, woman was created for man. But don't forget, nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all, listen, all things are from God. So we are to embrace our dependence on one another in, the, in our distinct and complementary roles in the Lord. We are to embrace our dependence on one another in the Lord. Husbands, you are dependent upon your wives. Wives, you are dependent upon your husbands. That doesn't change the role that the husband is still the head of the wife. But neither husband nor wife, male nor female, can live life with the attitude that I don't need you. No, we need one another. As the body of Christ, we need one another. Just like your hand needs your foot, and your foot needs your hand, and your mouth needs your ear. We need one another. So we need to learn to embrace our dependence on one another in our distinct and complementary roles in the Lord. Man and woman are not independent. They are dependent on one another in the Lord. But all things, even though woman came from man in creation, and even though man comes from woman in birth, we need to realize that all things are from God. God, the creator, God, the designer, from which all things proceed. Amen. Verse 13, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. What is the principle here? Do we say now that women can never cut their hair? If that's true, there's a whole lot of women who are in sin. Does that mean a man can never have long hair? What's long? Spencer's not in here, but he's in trouble. No. What this reveals to us is that nature, what this teaches us is that nature reveals God's distinct created order. Even nature upholds this idea that men and women are different that the roles of men and women are different, that, that God never made men and women to be equal in all things. He made them to be very different in many things. So nature itself upholds distinct and complementary roles for men and women. Honoring our complementary roles glorifies God and His design in creation. 
So you're walking around Corinth and, and you got basically people. Do you know back in that day, only the barbarians wore pants? So pants like I have them on now, no one in that part of the world wore pants. The only people that wore pants were the barbarians. You know, the the barbarians were the people that lived up where the weather was much colder. You know why they wore pants? Because if you had to run around in a skirt all day, it just got too cold. So the barbarians wore pants. In that culture, if you wore pants, you were considered a barbarian. And so everybody, everybody wore various forms of skirts. Guys had these shorter skirts. Women had, you know, these longer skirts. They covered everything. You know, so a guy, he'd wear a skirt that come down to about the top of his knees. No big deal. Women didn't do that. But, you know, they, they'd wear these tunics. They had these things. So you, you got someone walking around, you know, uh, with their tunic on, and, and they got hair going down their back. It becomes difficult to distinguish between men and women because of the, the dress. And when you have now this thing where we want to begin to blur the distinctions, we want to begin to just fade out all this gen, gender stuff. We don't need male and female anymore. We just, we just have a unisex environment. We, we don't need to distinguish men and women anymore. We're all one in Christ. Paul says, no, 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 stop right there. Even creation, even in nature, we see that God designed men and women differently to have and to fulfill, to walk out different roles. It is not our place as created beings to rework the order of the Creator. We're not allowed to say men and women don't exist anymore. Gender doesn't exist anymore. We're all equal, so it doesn't matter. A woman ought to be able to do exactly what a man should be able to do, and a man ought to be able to do what a woman ought to be able to do. So now, as soon as we get the technology, we're going to have men birthing babies because that's just the way it should be. We don't need gender anymore. I mean, really, there's people that are working on that right now. Paul says, no, you're messing with the order of creation. And even nature, at a very common sense level, even nature teaches us there is a distinct created order. Amen? Verse 16, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. What's Paul saying? He says, look. This is not up for debate. This is the custom. This is the tradition. This doesn't just go back to some set of bylaws that a church developed. This goes back to before the beginning. Before God said, let there be light, God says, I know exactly how I'm going to make my creation. I know how I'm going to order my creation. So the church is to uphold the traditions and customs affirmed in God's word. The traditions and customs we uphold are those that uphold Christ in the gospel. The traditions and the customs we uphold are those that uphold the word of God, not in the letter that kills, but in the spirit giving life. The letter that kills would say, all you women who have short hair, you need to repent right now. 
That's the letter that kills. But I can look at all the women in here and I can say, there's no doubt in my mind, you ladies are ladies. I don't see any of you ladies trying to be men and I don't see any men in here trying to be ladies. I don't see anyone trying to abolish the distinctions. So in my humble opinion, based on what I believe the Scripture is teaching, you ladies can take a deep breath. You're okay if you have a short haircut. No big deal. So, so how do we understand these things? There should still be a real symbol, though, of God's authority. So we don't throw the symbol and we don't throw the meaning out, or we don't throw the meaning out. We need to understand that there should still be a real symbol of God's authority, of His created order, and of the distinct and complementary roles men and women fill in the family and in the church. Head coverings, listen, head coverings do not symbolize these things in our culture today. You would be hard-pressed to find very many churches in Taylor this morning where all the women are going in with head coverings on. That's, that doesn't symbolize anything in our culture today. That does not mean there should be no symbol or that we disregard God's created order or His design. There's no problem with women praying or prophesying in church. There is a problem with women, or men for that matter, not honoring their head and conforming to patterns that are out of order in God's created design for the family, and for the church. We as a church, and there are good people who disagree with us, but we as a church have embraced the belief that men, only men as the scripture teaches, can be pastors and elders. That doesn't mean a woman can't teach. It doesn't mean a woman can't talk and address the church. It means that in terms of the governance and the headship, we're going to follow what the Scripture lays out. Now, some say, well, that doesn't apply anymore because Paul said there is no longer male nor female in Christ. And I would submit to you, this is exactly what Paul is saying when he says, nevertheless, guys, just remember, you still come from women And we need to understand that in the Lord, we are all dependent on one another. This goes back to what I said last week in terms of relationship. God doesn't relate to women different than he relates to men. In other words, God doesn't love women or men more than he loves women. This isn't an order of how close we are. Men are a little closer to God because God created men first. No. Christ is just as divine as the Father is, but yet the Father is the head of Christ. And Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father, and Christ himself, even though he was just as divine as the Father, Christ said, I've come to do the will of the Father. I do nothing apart from my Father's will. Now, that's not saying women are robots for their husbands. What it's saying is exactly what the Bible says. Women, wives, your head is your husband. That doesn't mean you don't have a say. That doesn't mean God loves you less. That means there is an order of creation that we are to all embrace. 
So in our culture, we need to ask ourselves, what would be an appropriate symbol of this authority or this headship? Well, in, 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 in Paul's day in Corinth, it was a veil on top of the head. So those ladies that came in, they had that veil. It was a symbol of, of they were married. They were under the headship of their husband. So when they got up and they prophesied or they prayed with their head covered, it was a symbol that they were under the authority of their husband. Please understand, women, this is not a derogatory or a, a discriminatory thing. Some wanted to get up and say, you know what, we don't need this anymore. We're equal. There is no longer male nor female. Women can do the same thing men can do. It doesn't matter. We just need to abolish this idea of gender. And they started taking their head coverings off saying, you know what, I don't need to, I don't need to have this. Paul says, no, you do need this because this is the way God ordained it. Not because I say so, but because God says so. So in a really practical way, how do we understand this? There were two men that I found most helpful. And I just want to read a couple of excerpts, okay? One's from a guy named Daniel B. Wallace, who knows much more about this than I do. The important thing to note is that the early church adopted a convention already in use in society and gave it a distinctively Christian hue. So head coverings was a common thing. When a woman wore a head covering in the church, she was showing her subordination to her husband, but was not out of place with society. Wayne Grudem says this, In modern American society, a married woman wears a wedding ring to give public evidence that she is married. Just as Paul was concerned that women in Corinth not throw off their veils and thereby, thereby dishonor their husbands by not acting like married women in the church, so married women today should not hide their wedding rings or otherwise publicly dishonor their marriage when they come to church. There are probably a number of other symbols of being married in other cultures around the world, and the application of 1 Corinthians 11 to churches in those cultures is that married women and men should not discard those symbols. So, in some island in the South Pacific, a wedding ring might not be the symbol. So we can't say the wedding ring is the universal symbol. We can't say a veil is the universal symbol because cultures change. But what the Bible says, there needs to be a symbol. Because it doesn't matter whether you're in Fiji or Taylor or Germany, God says husbands are the head of their wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. So what is the symbol of that headship and that authority? So what we're not saying is that we don't no longer obey or we don't need a, a symbol. We, it's just that it's going to vary from culture to culture. So I want you to think of it this way. This is similar to the way we would think about the command that says, you shall not covet your neighbor's ox. Anybody got a neighbor that has an ox? Oh, well, I'm off the hook, right? No. So how does that principle apply today? It applies by not coveting your neighbor's car. Or if you're a farmer, you don't covet your neighbor's tractor. Man, I wish I had that new Kubota. God says, don't do that. 
So it's not about the ox. It's about coveting. It's not about the head covering. It's about God's authority and God's created order. So our approach here is very different from egalitarian arguments that say we don't have to obey the passage on head coverings and we don't have to obey the passage on holy kisses. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Who did that today? Did you all break the command of Scripture? Are you all in sin because you didn't greet one another with a holy kiss? No, I don't think so. I mean, if you want to greet each other with a holy kiss, that's okay. Some cultures, that's what you do. In other cultures, if you greet them with a holy kiss, you might get slapped in the face, right? But the point is, greet them in love, embrace them, welcome them, and show your love and your affection for them in Christ. But the holy kiss thing might not be appropriate in some cultures. And we don't have to obey the passage of foot washing. So we probably don't have to obey the passage on male headship in marriage either. This is the the thinking. Well, we don't do these things and we don't do that anymore, so we don't have to do this anymore. But that form of argument is particularly dangerous because it accumulates more and more sections of Scripture that we don't have to obey today. But our submission to the authority of God as He speaks in His Word means that we have to obey All of these passages, listen, though the specific form that obedience takes will vary from culture to culture because the thing that God was concerned about in each case was not the outward form, but the meaning conveyed by that form. So in our culture, it may be a wedding ring that symbolizes you're married. It may be modest attire. Wives, there's a certain way, if you go out in public dressed in a certain way, you're sending a very clear message that though you may be married, that you either aren't married or you disregard that marriage. I mean, just turn on the TV. You can pretty, go, to, uh, go to any music video channel just about and see how some of the women in, in, in a lot of those videos are dressed. Ladies, if you go out dressed like that in public, you're sending a message that is totally counter to you being a, a wife and a mother. So, appropriately modest attire. A God-honoring attitude manifesting a heart that is submitted to God. These are the things that we are to wear today to show our submission to God. To show that we embrace the distinct and complementary role that God designed for us at creation. That we don't despise that, but we honor that, we embrace that in order to glorify God. To honor our head, to glorify our head to uphold what even nature itself commands and reveals, to uphold God's word and God's glory as we give witness through our life. Amen? So it's not about... So you ladies don't need to all go out and buy your head covering today so you can wear it to church next week. But ladies, if you're married, wear your wedding ring. 
Outwardly and inwardly, where? What's appropriate to communicate who you are? Men, the same thing. Guys, you go out to Walmart, dump half a bottle of cologne on you, and you got your shirt unbuttoned down to your belly button, all your chest hair sticking out there, your pants are about two sizes too tight. I I don't know who you're looking for, but... uh, You might be communicating something that's not consistent with you being a good husband and a good father. Live your life in a way that communicates who you are. Amen? Let's all stand. Father in heaven, we just ask that you would help us Lord, that we would be a people, corporately and individually, and as families that honor you, that glorify you. That, God, we would honor one another. We would honor the roles that you've given to us. We would embrace those. We would embrace one another. God, our lives would speak and be a witness to the world around us, and even to the angels. Lord, we trust you. You made each of us who we are, male, female, a husband, a wife. We trust you, God. We trust your order of creation. Father, we've, we've experienced so much pressure from our culture to go counter to that order to go counter to what your word reveals. Lord, so much of what we've talked about today is so politically incorrect. Lord, some people I know would not even come to this church because of the very teaching I've taught today. But Lord, it is the teaching of your word. It's not what I have said. It's not just my opinion. It is what your word declares. Help us to be a people, God, who would embrace your word, who would embrace your truth who would embrace who we are in Christ. Lord, be glorified in your church. Personally, as individuals, as husbands, as wives, as children, as families, as the family of God, be glorified. Help us to communicate your truth to a world that is so desperately in need of it. Help us, God, to live out a gospel Lord, the only thing that has the power to change and transform them. Let it change and transform us, and so let it change and transform the world around us. We ask this, God. We ask this for your glory. In the name above all names, in the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand.